Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 52 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action movie Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and I'm still in the Boston area, <laughs> and therefore joining me today, today once again is Sean German of the Next Scene Podcast. Thank you once again for, uh, you know, for, for letting me come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me back. We're glad to be here. Glad to have you here. Glad to be on the show. Yeah. Again, we'll see if he's still saying that on Friday, but uh, so far, so good. Still yeah. early in the week. That's so right. We'll you know, you've, been, uh, you've been very gracious, even though the accommodations are, are really, really tight. You know, I had to, you know, pulling, pulling that uh, lighter out of my pocket was, was not simple. But, uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. able to light up. Uh, everyone can see the, the, yeah. the blood across my eyebrow. You'd be able to find your way around uh, well enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So Minute 52 begins with a shot of John looking exasperated. And ends with Carl uh, moving closer to the bullet-ridden air conditioning shaft. So yesterday we ended the minute with John uh, feeling like a frozen TV dinner. You know, crawling through this uh, air-conditioned unit, he lit up his lighter and was able to actually see what's going on. So, the first shot we get here is John still there, but he's lit up, and he, he looks like he's had enough already. I mean, we're, we're, only, <laughs> we're only 52 minutes into the movie, but, but he's had enough. Yeah. He just wants to go home. <laughs> I, I can't say that I blame him. Well, but he, he wants to get his wife home also, so... Yeah. You know, that's... Uh, that, that's part of the problem. And then, you know, as he's looking at the camera, he says, Come out to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs. <laughs> so, I, I, I teased yesterday. This line was the line they always showed in all the HBO promos. You'd have him say this line, and then there was like a massive explosion right after it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I, I always remember the way that they did that. Yeah. And this is just, it's, it's a great script, because we, well, so... Last minute, we didn't have any dialogue, and there's a lot of minutes of just, yeah, you know, John running around or crawling around, or there's the action scenes, but um, it pretty much every minute that that has dialogue is going to have a, a good line. Maybe not quite as, as memorable as, as what we get this minute, but... Uh, do, you, do, you, do you think this is in the script, this line, or do you think it was ad-libbed? We'll find out at the end of, end, end of today's episode, but I first want to know what you think. Um... I would think it's in the script. That would be my guess, that this is in the script. All right. So we'll, we'll put that on the side and we'll, we'll wait and see. Got my answer. Uh, we'll find out at the end if I'm if I'm right or not. That's right. <laughs> now, where do you think this line comes from? Is this, is, like, who says to him, come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs? You know, it's, John is coming to L.A. to see his estranged wife and two kids. Right. I don't think any of the three of them would have said this line. No, they. Would, I mean, come out to the coast, maybe. That you know that that Holly could say to him, "Come out to the coast. You get to see the kids. We'll spend Christmas together." You know that type of thing. But to say, "Come out to the coast. We'll get together and have a few laughs." Right. Well, I don't even. I, I can't even picture. Maybe Cappy says that. Cappy Holly, Roberts? you know, Holly calling it the coast. She would say, "Why don't you come to California or come right. to L.A. Come visit us." Um, I mean, yeah, this sounds like something Argyle would say. But wouldn't say it to John because by the time they met, he was already out yeah. on the coast. This may have been um, maybe his buddies back in New York making fun of him. You know, he says, "Oh, I'm going to take some time off. Oh, where, where are you going on your vacation, John? Oh, I'm going to I'm going to California." And then them kind of poking fun at him, 
saying this, but yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, I don't think anyone actually, any no one in California invited right. John out. Well, no, he, he told Cappy Roberts that he was going to be, you know, near uh, Pomona. Yeah. Which, it's actually very funny. Earlier this week, I was I was driving through uh, New York, and there was a town called Pomona. Mm-hmm. You know, and because... No, sorry. Pomona is the real name of the place in L.A. And he calls it Ramona. Because and then she laughs at him and says it's called Pomona. But I found it really funny that there is... I found a place... I saw a little town in New York also called Pomona. Oh. It's like uh, right around... Uh, uh, I think it's New Square or mm-hmm. Muncie, that type of area. So it was just very funny, like uh, right off the uh, Palisades Parkway, I think where it was. But it was just, it was hilarious seeing it, knowing that, you know, I'm doing Die Hard and, you know, yeah. Pomona is, is, you know, it's not the same one, but it's still the, the same line. So that really works well. And then he turns off the lighter. And again, the music and sound here is just amazing because you hear the click mm-hmm. of the, the Zippo closing. And then they quickly give us a shot of the shaft from the outside where the light goes out and therefore you know Carl is able to see what what where where John is hiding but my biggest question is is okay you know if Carl is looking down and sees the light wouldn't that have already said something he didn't have to hear the noise of the zippo closing in order to to fill him in that something that that there's someone in that shaft you know it's the shaft with the light in it yeah, yeah, he would. <laughs> <laughs> They're all dark except for one. They're all dark except for one, and I'm sure you know. Carl seems like a pretty smart guy. He could put that together and figure it out. Um, and certainly, when the light goes out, um, exactly. Yeah, and and also the sound reverberates really well here. Yeah, you know they we 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 can see that there it's from the echo and stuff like that. And then the shot of of Carl is great because there's apparently a lot of wind that John didn't have to deal with because. Mm-hmm. You know, Carl's hair is blowing in the wind as he's in that shaft. So I don't, I don't, I don't know how that really works, but you know, still, still interesting to, to to see that. And it looks as if John is actually two floors below, meaning that when he tried mm-hmm. grabbing the one on the same level, he fell two floors before he was able to grab on. Right. You know, that makes sense. He did, yeah, fall a little bit when he lost his grip. So right. Exactly. And Carl immediately takes off to, to go try and find John. You, you, it, if I was looking at that, it would take me a little longer to figure out where exactly he is. You know, from looking at the, the dimensions of the elevator shaft and then saying, okay, which staircase do I have to go down to get... I, like, he knows which floor it is. But to find the specific place, you know, I think would be uh, a little bit more difficult than... They make it seem here. They make it seem as if he finds it really, really easily. Yeah, he, he does. Yeah, and I would assume... So, yeah, there's probably, like, one... Off of the main shaft, there's one set of ducts that go off for each floor. So it's easy enough to count one, two, right. three. I don't know how far down is he. But then figuring out from there... That it's on the left-hand uh, side, and you have to go down, and you have to do that. And I don't know. Yeah. Not really sure. And then we, we get a little more dialogue from John, where he goes, Now I know what a TV <laughs> dinner feels like. <laughs> so what, what do you know about TV dinners, Sean? Um, I know I've, I've had TV dinners. I'm, I'm old enough that I remember when, um, used to have to put them in the oven. Nowadays they have them mostly microwave, so they cook a lot faster. Um, and they're probably not on metal trays. Right. (laughs) Not anymore. Um, yeah, I remember having, you know, occasionally as a kid, we'd have them, yeah, the, the, the metal tray and usually there'd be, 
there was some process, like some things would remain covered and there might be, uh, you know, maybe a vegetable or something part of the meal that you'd have to uncover and then pop it in the oven and cook it. And, um, and then it came out and then, you know, on the tray, that, but that's about all I know. Right. Okay. So, uh, first of all, you know, any other names for a TV dinner? I think I've pretty much just called them like a TV dinner. Okay. Yeah. So it could be called a frozen meal. Okay, a frozen meal, a TV dinner, a prepackaged meal, a ready-made meal, a ready meal in England, a frozen dinner, or a microwave wheel meal. Microwave meal, and it's a packaged frozen meal that comes portioned for an individual. A frozen meal in the U.S. and Canada usually consists consists of a type of meat for the main course, and sometimes vegetables, potatoes, and a dessert. The main dish can sometimes also be pasta or fish. And in European frozen meals, they usually have either Indian food or Chinese food that are listed in those. I, I don't know why it's it would be different in England from that perspective. You know, hmm. sounds a little strange. Um, and it's a form of uh, convenience food because all you have to do is uh, you know take it out of the freezer, and as long as it doesn't uh, expire, you can <laughs> you know uh, pop it in the microwave and, and get it. So when when do you think the term TV dinner started being used? Well, it'd have to be uh, after the invention of TV, but that that sounds like a fifties thing. And you're right; it was it started to be used in 1953. It was actually the name the the name of the brand of packaged meals that were developed by Swanson and Sons. Mm-hmm. Okay, the full name was a TV brand frozen dinner. Right at the time, as we mentioned, they they came out in uh, aluminum pans, and you could heat them in the oven. Right, and nowadays people use the term for any type of, you know, frozen food that you're just gonna just pop in the oven or pop in the in the microwave in order to 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 use that. Right. So, I mean, think about it. They've had it for almost seventy years that people are are. Uh, you know, just taking food and putting it in the oven that they don't have to cook themselves and stuff like that. You know, sometimes they, they even have, you know, unfrozen pre-cooked meals. You know, you have like soups and things mm-hmm. like that, you know, where you just can put in uh, hot water. You know, sometimes they have different types of pastas and spaghettis and stuff like that where all you do is, you know, it's in a cup and all you do is add a little bit of hot water. Uh, I, I wonder if like, would you would you think that like oatmeal... You know, ready-to-eat oatmeal would be considered, uh, ah, that's just a ready-to-eat food. Yeah, right. that's not, just something that frozen. doesn't have much preparation, right. but right. yeah. I think the, the implication for that is something that's, uh, there's, you know, kind of pre-prepared. There's preparation steps that are done ahead of time so that you can just either rehydrate with hot water or you just right. heat it up. Um, there's there's some steps that are being right. you're kind of done ahead That's of time. The idea of, of pre cooked ready meals and stuff like that, you yeah. know, that type of thing. No, because the difference is is it's food that is, you know, as you mentioned, you know, when if you're eating like a, a soup or something like that, so it's something that's been cooked up to some point, some mm-hmm. some point, in order to the fact that you that all you have to do is add, add hot water to it. You know, it's not something that that you need to. You know, it, it takes a lot longer to, to to make pasta than one of these things because it's already partially cooked. Right. You know, that type of thing. So the invention or the idea of TV dinners is uh, still in dispute. Nobody knows exactly how it came to be. Uh, so a number of the 
ideas. So the an executive from Swanson who retired in 1996 named Jerry Thomas, okay, said that he thought of the idea because the the company had a surplus of frozen turkeys that uh, that that weren't used after Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and they had to figure out what to do with it. And he decided to therefore think of this idea. Now, members of the Swanson family themselves and some other Swanson employees say that, uh, no, that's not really true. You know, he's just <laughs> making that up, and that, that's not really what it is. So someone who works there, named Bet- who worked at Swanson, n- named uh, Betty Cronin, right, she actually has also been credited with, uh, with the invention because she herself was a bacteriologist. Mm-hmm. Meaning that uh, you know she had to make sure that that people wouldn't get sick from uh, from the food that they were making there, and she was involved in the technical design of the dinners so that they could be frozen and then reheated in a successful manner, so that uh, you know people could actually not kill still, anyone, exactly, not, give them not kill anyone, and and still find it tasty. Yeah, you know. So in in 1944, a few years before, they actually started serving food on airplanes this way. So it was marketed beforehand, but they weren't known as TV dinners because, you know, you you weren't uh, watching TV on the airplane. Right. I guess, you know, it was, uh, you know, I mean, we also see, we've seen movies from that take place during World War II, you know, where they're they're eating MREs and things like that. You know, so there there are, you know, ways of, of getting your meals and stuff like that. So, yeah, that that's, uh, I, I find that really interesting, too. You know, and he does look like he's a, a frozen TV <laughs> dinner, but yes. but the question is, how cold is it in there? You know, he's in the air conditioned unit, but you know, he was in the the elevator shaft, or was that is that the? Do you think that's the air conditioning shaft, the, the main shaft there? I or thought it, that was like a yeah, that was like an air shaft. Ah, okay, it's we're not talking about the. I, for some reason, I, yeah. I got the confusion thought that we were talking about the the elevator shaft because the elevator shaft isn't going to have cold air coming. From it, but okay, right. right. I guess in a building like that, you do need to have a humongous air shaft. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's how you know how accurate that is in terms of the size, but there would be a large amount of air that you'd need to move, so you'd have make sense to have one large main shaft going up and down, and then right. the smaller ducts go off it. And um, I wonder, it's uh, well, I was going to say, well, you know, it's December, it's it's Christmas, but which made me think, oh, well, they'd be pushing hot air. Because it's winter, but I was just this about is to LA. Say that. You, you you jumped a gun on me on oh, that one. Sorry. I mean, it is LA? No, that's fine. That's, yeah, uh, I mean, so I'm I'm. I was know, wondering what's the weather like there. I mean, yeah, I, I've spent most of my life in the Northeast, where usually it'd be very cold, and and so the air being pushed through would be hot. But this being LA, um, yeah, I mean, it's still it, it will get cooler in the winter, but it could be quite warm. Right. What do you think the high low was that day? I would say maybe low of 55, high of 72. Okay, so it was actually um, 53 was the high and 43 was the low. Oh, So okay. it was getting a little chilly, a little oh, nippy. So, yeah. In, so. uh, that's from 1987. Now, 1988 is even even crazier. The high was also 53, but the low was zero. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, so... You know, we don't know what year this takes place. It could take place in 87. It could take place in 88. It could take place in 89. It could take place in an alternate universe where the weather is completely different because there's still the whole idea that why are they having a Christmas party 
on either a Friday night or a Saturday night, you know, which is actually Christmas Eve. You know, you, you'd think right. that, that the company would have thought of their employees wanting to actually be with their families on Christmas Eve and have the party a few days earlier. Yeah. I mean, most places I've worked that have a holiday party, they, yeah, they do it like the week before, knowing on the holiday itself or Christmas Eve, people want to be with their families. A lot of people are traveling on vacation. Um, it seems kind of inconsiderate by yeah. uh, um, by Takagi here. And it seems like for someone, at least the higher ups, like um, like Holly, like attendance was expected. They were expected to, to be Well, we there. saw at the beginning of the movie, she's still working. You know, especially when Takagi's giving a speech. You know, he's, he's speaking to everyone and she's, she's still working and walking by, you know, going over some uh, pages or from a fax or wherever she was doing at the time. Stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, so, so I don't know if he would really be considered a TV dinner here. Mm-hmm. If he's, you know, if, if they're heating him up. Actually, you know what? If you think about it, it could be, it could be either way. Maybe he's talking about the fact that they're, that he feels it's so hot because he's, he's being heated up. As opposed to, see, I took it beforehand that he was cold, but maybe he's actually feels like he's in an oven. <laughs> to feel the heat. I mean, I I took it as primarily because of just like he's wrapped in metal, um, right? Being in this, you know, in in the metal duct in this tight space, that it's mainly just being like you know, kind of wrapped up like a dinner that's ready to be heated. I wasn't I wasn't even thinking about the right. temperature, but there's probably like a slight heat if it was. I mean, it was in the fifties. Um, right. It's true. Yeah. Have, have you ever heard, you know, there's a, a song about TV dinners from ZZ Top? Uh, I don't think I've heard that. No, I didn't know that song. Right. So I, I'm just going to, I'm not going to make everyone, uh, you know, have to suffer through me singing, especially not Sean, because I, I, I'll get kicked out of here real quickly, but I'll, I'll still give the, the lyrics, right? So it's TV dinners. There's nothing else to eat. TV dinners. They really can't be beat. I like them frozen, but you understand I throw them in and wave them, and I'm a brand new co- new man. Oh yeah, TV <laughs> dinners they're they're going to my head. TV dinners, my skin is turning red. Twenty year old turkey in a thirty year old tin. I can't wait until tomorrow and thaw one out again. TV dinners, I'm feeling kind of rough. TV dinners, this one's kind of tough. I like the enchiladas and the teriyaki too. I even like the chicken if the sauce is not too blue. And they're mine, all mine, oh yeah. And they sure are fine. Gotta have them. <laughs> okay, I'll, well, there I'll, you go. I'll, I'll let everyone listen to the... Uh, oh, sorry, then give me something now. So I'll, I'll, I'll post up, post the song for people to, to take a listen you know, to the whole thing. You can, you, can, you can you know, write in the comments what you think about the song. <laughs> it really... But I, I just find it funny that they have this type of, you know, song all about TV dinners. You know, and then... Uh, after John makes this comment, so he continues crawling through this, this very encamped space, uh, just to give us an idea again as to how difficult this must be. And then Carl, Franco, and Fritz come into the room. They come into the, the boardroom. We're, we're now actually back where Takagi was killed. Mm-hmm. You know, they come running through, and they, they, it, it's funny the way they're running. You know, they, they, they all look as if they're you know, completely distraught already and, and ready to, to, to capture him. You know, like, oh, I got to go on another flight to get to, to find him. You know, I've, I've just run down two flights upstairs. And Carl easily knows where John should be. You know, he, he tells Fritz to go a certain direction. He tells Franco to go the other direction. 
you know, they, they start uh, jabbering away in, in German through the two of them. And, you know, he, he they, they, all, they give us a shot of looking at the ceiling, looking at the shaft from underneath so we can actually see specifically, you know, where they believe McLean is. You know, and they, they, they do it really well. And, you know, he says that the, one of the things he says in German is such, S-U-C-H, which means search. You know, and then basically we we get a shot again of John, but he's inside the, the shaft looking out. Uh, you know, thankfully there's actually a, uh, a grate for him to be able to look through to, to see what's going on. And I love the way that we see the the shadows on his face. You know, like it looks like he has these this this gr- uh, grill lines. You know, going up and down across his face yeah. from the you know from the light underneath and stuff like that. I think they did yeah. that. Too. But it's almost like almost like prison bars to kind of yeah. heighten the tension yeah. and the the situation that he's in. But yeah, I mean, it's a great shot. And then they switch the shot, and we see him looking down through that grate. And we see that, obviously, Carl is the one who's going to come to the room. You know, it would be a waste to have Fritz or Franco show up in the room. Yeah. You know, it's got to be the one that Carl happens to be going through. And, you know, at, le- at least this point, Carl actually has his gun facing the right direction, pointed up. You know, he's he's looking through the the AC shaft, trying to figure out. And they, they give us a nice pan to see how much there is in this room. You know, there's there's a lot of... Of the the, the that uh, air shaft is really huge in mm-hmm. that room. You know, you think that in most places they would have that covered up. Yeah, now, yeah, I kind of wonder is this um, kind of like a behind the scenes area, you know, a maintenance area, or is this just part of the building that's still under construction? Um, yeah, right. Cause... But this is this is the boardroom. That's what doesn't make any sense here. You know, is the boardroom done, and then one of the rooms on the side isn't done yet? Yeah, because they oh well, we can see in one of the shots when Carl's shooting, it looks like there's like printers or something set up. Maybe it's a scale. Maybe it's like a postage scale. Um, so yeah, they ran through the boardroom, and now they're in maybe a, a printer room or a mail room. Yeah, it does seem unusual that those ducts are exposed like that. Yeah, it looks looks a little strange, but uh, you know, oh well, <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> and you know they. The we see we see the 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 way that that Carl is looking up, and then Carl looks in one direction, and then quickly switches and starts shooting at the entire you know shaft from from right to left. And I think that it's a great fake out for us the way that they do it because you know like he's looking at it calmly, and then he like jerks to the side and just starts shooting. You know, you'd think that he doesn't have to start from the right; he could start from the left and work his way back to the right. Instead of, you know, changing his direction right away. Right. Yeah, so that's... Well, this is, uh, you know, this is Carl. He's unpredictable. He can just start firing at any time. He's he's a wild card. Completely. Um, And and John McClane gets lucky. We see that he, you know, and he looks down, he sees like a bullet hole that has pierced the duct. Yeah. Kind of right in front of him, but he does not get hit. Yeah, and I love how you see the... the, There's smoke, and like, it looks like it's sizzling. Yeah. You know, have you ever... Have you ever seen? Have you ever been next to a place that a bullet has been shot? No, not fortunately, at you. no. Not at you. No, <laughs> not at you. But you know. yeah, I, I have fired firearms. You know, in, in like a, you know a shooting range. But usually, mm-hmm. I'm on 
I, you know, not usually. I've always been on, you know, the shooting side, not near the target. Right, but even if the if the cartridge, you know, jumps out and you touch it, it's yeah. it's really hot. Yeah, they are you know, hot. Um, I don't know if it would really sizzle the way that that we see it here. You know, mm-hmm. with all the smoke coming and uh, stuff like that. But it's a cool effect, yeah. whether it's real or not. You know, I've 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 shot bullets. I've I don't think like you. I've never had a bullet next to me that close. Thankfully, yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not worried about that one, but uh, it's still done very well, the way that they, they show it. Just to give us the idea that, okay, this was a really close call. You know, so they, they, they do that really well. And then, uh, you know, we get another shot of Carl as he's... First of all, we see John's face, which he's like, I can't believe this was so close. <laughs> but also, if you look at the way that, that Carl was shooting, it doesn't make any sense that he missed. He should have hit John. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with the amount of bullets that he that he shot into that into the, that that air duct, and the way that he sprayed it from right to left, I'm very shocked that he missed something, or that he missed John. Yeah, some maybe some divine intervention, uh, apparently. And then we we get to see Carl start walking towards the shaft and lifting his his gun up a little bit higher. Yeah. And John's in trouble because I don't think he's going to miss a second time. Uh, probably not. Probably not. So do you have anything else for this minute before we get into the script? Uh, no, nothing else for the minute itself. Okay, so yeah. like yesterday, there is a lot of description here. So I'm going to go through parts of it. So it says, uh, John lies exhausted and motionless in the narrow crawl space. He awkwardly fishes out the lighter from his shirt pocket and thumbs it on. Okay, that actually makes more sense, except for the fact that he's not wearing a shirt. You know, it would, it would be easier to take the, the lighter out from his shirt. Okay, the flickering glow shows him this ain't no place for claustrophobics. It's a long, 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 dark and narrow corridor full of weird shadows. The far end, if there even is one, is black. And then McLean says, whew, for a moment there, I was worried. He turns out the lighter and starts crawling. So, what did you think? You said that you think that, that that was a line that was in the script where he talks about coming out to the coast and TV dinner. Both of those are not in the script. Not in the script? Wow. Nope. So, he, he just basically uh, decided to, you know, say it himself. So, some onset improv. Yeah. Whether, whether it was Bruce Willis, whether it was something that they changed on the set, who knows. And then after uh, Carl shoots into the to the air duct, so it says McLean remains motionless in the air duct. Three quarter size holes inches from his face show how close Carl came to nailing him. Sweat covers his face, drips silently onto the aluminum. So again, it's I I, I love the way that it's so descriptive. Mm-hmm. You know, it really allows us to to understand. What it is that that's uh, that's going on just by reading it, you know. I, I it it makes me question as to whether, you know, if if the first time I saw this movie, if I would have read it beforehand, if it would have been as descriptive or not. That I don't know. Um, so every Tuesday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Holiday Edition, where my guests will give a story about something that has happened to them. Uh, along the journey of life, uh, but some sort of fun story related to some sort of holiday, maybe. 
So what have you got for us, Sean? Uh, so I have a story that's actually also it's not related to uh, holiday, but I thought of it for this minute because it relates to uh, moving through ductwork. Uh, so this is a story from... Have you uh, been chased by Carl in the Nakatobi <laughs> building? And we didn't know about it? No, well, it wasn't me. This is a story from my youth. I was, um, I was a teenager at the time. I was in high school and... Uh, we were painting our house, and this was um, our home. We had, uh, much like Nakatomi Plaza here, we had central air with, with ducks going everywhere. And we were painting, and uh, we had removed the fence off of the ducks and, and kind of left them off while we were painting. And at the time, we also we had a couple cats. And at one point, we, we hear them just meowing, just disembodied meowing coming from, well, it took us a while to figure out, uh, you know, just coming from the walls. And we're trying to figure out, where is the cat and where's this meowing coming from? And we, we go upstairs and we just hear meow, meow. And we, we, we track it down. We figure out the meowing is coming from, uh, from one of the vents or from one of the ducks where the, the vent cover had been removed. And we had to, much like Carl does here, we had to kind of follow the ductwork and figure out where the, the cat had ended up. And, uh, our cat actually ended up, um, was in the basement, had crawled into, the uncovered duct and had slid down and uh, luckily hadn't gone into the heater or a fan or, or anything that would damage, but had ended up in the basement. So we went down to the basement and we, we, um, we, we opened up the duct and we were able to, uh, to release our little cat. Um, oh, wow. Who, uh, who, who much like John McLean here managed to avoid any damage or at least McLean so far in this minute, um, has avoided damage, but, um, uh, yeah, so this, yeah, this, this minute made me think of, uh, that, yeah, that time we lost, we lost a cat inside the ductwork of our house. Wow. Very cool. Right. All right. So you want to once again tell people, Sean, how they can get in touch with you unless they're stuck in your house? Sure. <laughs> well, so if you're not in my house, then you can find me on the Next Scene podcast, which is at nextscenepod.com and nextscenepod on the social media. All right. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Facebook, or you can go directly to my site. So, uh, Sean, you want to let me stay here another day and come back again tomorrow? I think we're. I think it's so far so good. I say, uh, you know, keep it rolling. We'll try it again tomorrow. All right, sounds good. So, until then, yippee ki yay! Yippee ki yay! 